I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and... This ain't the person telling me this shit. That's that pop by the numbers guy. <laughs> 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 new shit, new shit. And I am director of the Fifth Element, where, once again, I have to say my own intros. And I highlight Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is also <laughs> knowledge. It's a shame. The way you mess around with my heart is a shame. The way you... It's digging in digits. Fucking vibe! I can't vibe. Honestly, this is this is probably one of like the top. I'll say top ten just to be safe, but top ten episodes I've been looking forward to doing since listening to the music. Cause, damn. Oh, I can't wait to get exploded with the, this bad boy. Mm-hmm. But hi Ben, how's the new pad? Yeah. What we've listened to this week? Yeah, new place, man. I'm in it right now. It's uh, it's good. It's good. I got. A, I'm looking at the pool right now. Just got a pool outside. The, excuse me. Yeah, very the fucking lux. pool living. Very lux. Shit, man. Very lux. All I right, got like all a right. little. I got a little sh- like studio at the back. You uh, got a noodle. Yeah, yeah. Got a few. Got a few. My uh, got some party. Got some inflatable rings. It's gonna be a wild. Uh, it's gonna be a wild <laughs> summer, man. It's gonna be a wild summer. Pool here. party at Ben's. Well, apparently, because I'm living out the back, my sister and her partner live in the main house, which is, you know, it's three stories, it's mad lux. And uh, ah, apparently okay. we're having a Christmas party with like 40 people this year. I don't <laughs> I don't think I have, I don't know 40 people. So I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm, I don't have 40 friends. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, it's fun, man. It's fun. We'll see what the, the audio comes out like, whether it's too echoey or something. I might have to do something about that, but... See how it sounds. Um, yeah, this week I listened to Rich the Kid and Lil Wayne, Trust Fund Babies. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I think Lil Wayne has a decent record with collab albums. Collie Grove was good. Like Father Like Son was good. Wayne sounding pretty refreshed and re-energized. A lot of people have been praising his consistency, but he's not consistent. He's actually wildly inconsistent. He always has been. Carter Five was really great. Funeral was not. Uh, I actually was going back over his discography. I completely forgot he dropped No Ceilings 3 in November last year. That was not good. No Ceilings 2 was not good. But then Dedication 6 was great and The Reloaded was great. He's not a consistent artist. He goes on these runs, sometimes years at a time, where everything he touches is gold. And then he just drops a few low-tier projects. And he's certainly been touching everything. Everything he's been touching has been gold lately. All these guest spots have been amazing. And he's good on here. He's he's honestly really good. He's very consistent. Rich the Kid feels pretty anonymous on here. Keep, kind of keeps time. Kind of just waiting for Lil Wayne to pop back in. It's a good project. Uh, but I just I don't think I'll be revisiting it very much. Uh, Wiki and Navy Blue, Half God. Wiki has been around for a decade now. I didn't realize that. Uh, the underground resurgence is happening right now. I don't know. Wikipedia has been around. Oh, I'm joking. Ah, lol. Yeah, so this underground, I think the underground resurgence is happening right now is, is really suiting him. Navy Blue's on the boards for every song on here. He gets a feature as well. Earl, Mike, Remy Banks, Jesse James Solomon all get features. There's some heartfelt moments on here from Wiki. 
but mostly he just sounds menacing over really great production. Earl's verse is a highlight, always a highlight whenever Earl pops up. Uh, Ray Black or Ray BLK, as I asked Charlie it's black. earlier. It's black. Before, it's black. earlier I was like, Charlie. What did you want, Miss Black? Charlie, Charlie, what, how do I say, do I? Because I've never heard her name said before, so... <laughs> But yeah, Charlie, I thought he might stitch me up. But <laughs> I hooked you up. I, I know you stitched you up. I did because I Googled you, you know, it. You try to cover all bases. I, I see, I no, see, I, go- I, I did vision. Google it and I did see it says, in, I think it's a Vogue interview that she did and they said pronounce black and I was like, okay. But this is a great project. Uh, British singer. Uh, one thing I loved is when she really drops into some rap cadence. It's very rare. It's very rare on here, but I think she, she sounds great. Lauren Skit is a highlight. Texted Charlie that last night. I actually think yeah. it kind of centers the album in its thematic lane because there's no punches pulled. You know, it doesn't sound forced. I think that that stream of consciousness, which is totally unbridled and uninhibited, informs the content on the rest of the album. That's exactly what this album is. It's Ray Black singing about whatever she wants to sing about. And that's really refreshing to me. I, I enjoyed this project a lot. Uh, and finally, Hetty One, Too Loyal for My Own Good. It's good. It's a good project. I forget what we said about Edna. I think we said it was good, but like a little bit inconsistent. Um, yeah. I, I feel similarly about this. You know, I think there's some stuff in the middle there that is trying to go in a couple of different directions that maybe don't work out too well. But content wise, I think Hetty One is really good. The thing I like about uh, the UK scene right now is. They put these really evocative album titles and then they just live up to it. They the, the whole album is consistent with that theme, you know, and that's that's not that's not common. That's not that common, I don't think. Um so yeah, man, great project. I, I enjoyed it. I think as I said, a little bit inconsistent, but I think Hetty One sounds good on these beats. Uh and when he tries to switch it up, mm, maybe not, but I think it'll get better in time. I think it'll uh he'll improve in time in, in that regard. But that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, I had a real fun week. It's been real, real fascinating week uh, listening wise. So I started off with a little project. Uh, you know, I just tripped up on uh, Bandcamp. I was like free for, was, like, free during the uh, early in the week, and I was like, you know, let me, let me find some jazz to listen to. As, a, as a, you know, it's always, it's always some jazz to listen to. Um, so I spanned uh, Nala Sinefro, uh, spell S I N E P H R O. Um, what space 1.8 um, so she is <laughs> a Caribbean Belgian composer producer and musician living in London so that's um that's a good mix right there for my in my opinion um, and yeah space 1.8 is just so I I, I said I, I sent it to Ben and I just said uh, simply put it's like uh, ambient jazz is just like the most chill laid-back kind of jazz you can you can spin right now it's super meditative um it, it just yeah it, it just goes on and on there's this one uh, the, the one i think uh might be uh, maybe it may be space a actually the last track yeah it's like 17 minutes and the rest of them are like <laughs> more regular times um but yeah that th- this there's some really the whole thing is just a real nice trip um if you've got 45 minutes just to s- literally space out go for this man it's it's a absolute uh absolute wonder of a listen it's it's it probably one of my favorite first listens of this of this year definitely um uh well i'll i'll, I'll probably I'll, I'll give you another spin obviously um for the for the album long lists and uh see how it fares but yeah it is it's just real it's a real nice definitely first listen if you just allow yourself to just 
float. Yeah, you, you will float. Uh, P Money and Silencer, untraditional. Uh, Lil E.P., uh, love me some P Money, one of the most consistent rappers in the game. Um, and yeah, the, they both come through with with uh, some nice heat. Production solid all round. Doing well at A&E as a back-to-back track is uh, absolute ch- bang art. Just, just, it just they both hit. Uh, stuttering with Chip, Dizzy Rascal, and DWE is a heater. Uh, I do like uh, Prosecco. Uh, I do like this year with uh, Toby as well. Uh, oh my life with Jamie and Frisco's cool, but I'm not really into that hook. Um, but apart from that, solid track. And yeah, the rest of it is decent as well. It's a solid DP. Can't complain that. If you know P Money, uh, if you know Silencer, you know their work, then uh, you're gonna, you're not gonna be disappointed on this front. But yeah, P Money is definitely one of just the most, uh, for me, uh, consistent rappers uh, out there right now. He always just comes through barring, and it's, uh, and it's great. Uh, Chima Anya and Soul Chef, modern fairy tale um, rapper Chima Anya and uh, New Zealand-based uh, Soul Chef uh, come through with a nice little collab project again. I think it's their second one uh, so far. And uh, yeah, this, this is very fascinating. Actually, in terms of concept, it's very interesting because, um, you know, Chima's talking about, you know, stuff that <clears throat> he's, it's coming across as like regular things that rappers can talk about. Um, so like Once Upon a Time, da 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 But the rest of it, just excluding Once Upon a Time, they, it all comes under just like a fairy tale element to it. Um, but it's literally just straight up hip hop. But the way he goes about it in terms of uh, what he's talking about. So, you know, in the track Trolls, you know, you think, obviously, fairy tale wise obviously, trolls are a thing. But he's talking about trolls, obviously, in, like, you know, internet, uh, right-wing, whatever, you know what I mean? Just stuff like that. It's, it's very fascinating. It's a nice little twist to just, like, you know, usual uh, thing, uh, rapping, uh, rapper subject matter to potentially talk about. It's very, it's, it's, it's smart. I like it. It's, it's a very smart record. So I shout to them on, uh, them two on that one. Uh, Lay Full Stop, spelt one, spelt in L-A-Y-F-U-L-L-S-T-O-P in one word. Uh, Stir. I love this record. I love this record to death. Um, this is crazy nice. Um, I remember I, I I do this thing where I see a um, I see a female artist um, you know come up on somewhere whether it is Spotify or you know someone's feature or just I see it on Twitter now and again just catch it. You know they usually have like a most of the time they have like a couple of tracks here and there or like an EP. They haven't been out for long, right? And this is kind of and I I just give them a follow. I listen to a couple. I listen I listen to what they have at the, so far, and I just give it a follow if I like what I like, um, if I like what I hear. And I liked Lay Full Stop, and I completely forgot. Uh, I completely forgot. Uh, you, you do it, I do it, and then forget. Um, and then she comes out with this, and I'm just like, oh yeah, Lay Full Stop's the thing. So I listen to it, and it's just this super just vibey jazztronica lo-fi kind of vibe going on and she has good vocals the rapping's nice it's smooth it's just buttery smooth the beats oh my gosh the beats receipts is such a banger to me it's like just a oh it it gives me um it gives me solange vibes i'll I'll say that in terms of a like a you know real world uh, not real world but like um uh, a, a more mainstream comparison it's kind of that it's it's going down that route, um, that slow, that slow uh, jazz tronical, like I said, you know, a bit of lo-fi in there, you know what I mean, just some deep bass, 
um, and yeah, it's just she and she just floats all over it. It's um, it's completely her. There's no features, no nothing. Um, it's fr- her front to back, just under forty minutes. Give it a listen. It is definitely worth a listen. Just just tune out on absolute, absolute, uh, absolute uh, crazy album. Very nice. Cooking Soul. Good job. <laughs> just a very simple name. Good job. I like that. Um, <clears throat> how have I not heard this producer before? I feel like he should be all over the place because this dude is like just wow. It's crazy. Um, it's just some crazy nice beats all over here um, and just crazy features on top of them. Freddie Gibbs, Lil B, Willie the Kid on Behold is crazy. Uh, Currency on Stovetop, Mac Millon, Come On Baby, nice. Uh, Evidence and For Sean on Amsterdam, nice. Uh, and some good stuff for, uh, in on the back end as well. Only 25 minutes. It is so short, so sweet. I want more. Excuse me. I want more. Uh, definitely, I was leaving wanting so much more. Uh, very solid EP. Uh, just love the beats, man. I just, I just love the beats. I love the samples. Oh, it's just, it just, uh, it fits so nice. Uh, heady one. Too low for my own good. Um, yeah, I kind of echo Ben's sentiments. Um, I respect the, you know, I, I think the the fact that he did it all, you know, it's just him. Um, I don't know if it gets overblown or not blown up enough because, you know, I just said Layful Stop does it. So, you know, I've listened to two records <laughs> this week that have done the same thing. So, you know, I don't know if it's like because uh, f- he, he put this off as like he put this out in in the way that, you know, it's kind of a flex. That he's just it's just him. And I'm not too I'm, I'm not like impressed with that fact that people do that. I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if I'm being if I'm being a wet blanket or we're not hyping that kind of thing enough. I'm I'm not sure wh- which way to go on that. Um, but regardless of that, it's a solid project. Um, if you like Heady One, you're gonna get some good hit, good stuff here. Starts off with some decent drill bangers, dips off um, into some uh, uh, in some Afro beats in the middle, uh, and then just uh, rounds out with a, a nice uh, you know just a drill-ish mix uh, going on in the end. <clears throat> but yeah, it's it's cool, it's calm. Um, I can't really complain about it. Uh, I will say there's so many times there's so many times you can mention Louis Vuitton, but he he gives it a good fucking go. Um, but yeah, some some good stuff if you you know it's it's same same heady in my mind. I'm not really anything you know too out there experimentally apart from the fact there's no features on it. If you want to flex that, but uh, yeah, solid solid project. Uh, Yann Vaughan been in it a minute. <laughs> I love I love saying that been in it a minute. Maybe baby. Um, so yeah, I I love me some Wyan Vaughan. Um, I love her essence. Uh, I love her just the the way she comes about on music. Uh, she works with Terrace Martin regularly. Um, and Terrace does a couple of her production feats on here, and he features on one in terms of just like gassing up Wyan at the end of one track. Um, but yeah, the only features are the Vaughan are uh, people in her family. So Wendy Vaughan, the emotions, which is uh her mother. Think and uh, I think it's her mother and her two sisters, if I remember correctly, um, and uh, and Warren Vaughan uh, on Philosophy Part Two. <clears throat> Got to be yours is like eight minutes, but it's so nice it, you just don't care uh, that it's eight minutes. It's just such a nice vibe. Like the produ- the producers on that is crazy. Actually, it's a it's a Chris Cadenhead, Crisis, and DJ Quick of all people uh, coming through on that one. Uh, Terrace Martin comes through on production on. Uh, think if i remember correctly i forget which track but um yeah he he, he he does produce at least one track i know that for sure um but yeah the whole thing is just under 40 minutes she just goes cross with like 
really just on point R&B, like that real 90 soulful R&B in the beginning, and it's just so fucking nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, it just continues on from there. Uh, you know, you have a bit of a switch up here and there, um, tonally and stylistically. But Wyatt just goes off like she's just, she she's just a nice singer to listen to, man. It's just it's just great, and uh, the 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 family element she has towards this is perfect as well. I, I love that uh, element to it. Uh, Ray Black, Ray Blizzy, uh, access denied. You know, I've been a fan of Ray Black since uh, since uh, since Dirt um ep from like four or five years ago now i forgot how long it was but um, yeah i remember she got like a bbc sound of the future whatever things called she was like that for the year uh, for that year and i was like oh, okay cool i gave you a listen it was cool so and i don't know i don't know why but i've kind of been uh apprehensive about this album um i didn't know where she was going to go with it i was listening to these singles and i was like mm, it's okay it's cool uh, but I didn't, I didn't know what what she wanted to do with it, and uh, I think you put it pretty simply um, and pretty well. Is that she kind of just sticks it to herself and um, and just goes, "This is where I'm at. This is what I'm about. Take it or leave it." And um, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely take it. Uh, the bar in on, uh, I think, I think it's lovesick. Just comes through with the bars, especially. Um, it's clean. Um, I do find it weird the Koji Radical was on Smoke. I feel like he could have uh, featured on something different apart from that track. I don't know. It, was just seemed, it just didn't seem like a dude should be on that track. I, I don't know. That's just me. Um, that Lawrence skit is funny as hell. Uh, just That was just really aggro. I was just like, oh, oh, heavens. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I do like Baggage. I, I don't mind Baggage. I like the I like the subject matter for it. I'm not a fan of the song itself, but I do respect the, uh, the message going across there. I love Dark Skin. That's probably my favorite track on this uh, on this album. Um, and the uh, uh, Go Go Girl and Over You at the end uh, finishes off quite nicely. 25 is, uh, I mean, it, it fits. I mean, I'm 25, so, you know, I can see where she's coming from on that. Um, uh, but, yeah, you know, shout out to Ray Black, man. First studio album um, after several, not several, but a couple of really, really good EPs. Um, really great singles here and there. And she's come out with a, you know, decent, uh, decent uh, f- first studio album. So respect to Miss Ray Black. <clears throat> and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we are beginning October with our UK Black History Month celebrations. If you weren't a ve- if you weren't a listener uh, last October, we basically started this um, out of a well, the fact that it is UK Black History Month, and um, as a British person who is of a mixed race, um, I care about that. Um, you know, even though I spend um, something like a, you know, uh, I spend my podcast what's good you know constantly talking about you know stuff pertaining to black british and black history all year round i do respect the you know the essence of what uk black history month is and i feel like this is a good podcast to do so um especially since it's hip-hop and you know uk um and uh american culture is very it's a very fascinating uh ties towards that and this is probably a perfect case study for that exact thing um, because we are doing a retrospective on the British-born, uh, uh, obviously emigrated uh, 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 rapper uh, Moni Love, um, and uh, yeah, this is going to be a very. It, I'm very excited for this episode um, from a music standpoint, but just from a uh, just from a uh, also from a storyline standpoint. Ben's given me a few nuggets on uh, what he's got so far. 
um, uh, before. And uh, yeah, it's just some real good stuff here. And I can't wait. Um, Moni Love's a very fascinating person to cover. And, uh, you know, in general, uh, and doing this uh, and doing this uh, month of uh, UK Black Christian Month celebrations, um, we gave the list off at the end of last episode, if you, if you want to go peep that for the full names. Um, but yeah, we're just going to go for that. Let's begin with Moni Love. Happy days. Ben, what have you got for us today? Yeah, I think it's totally in bounds to talk about Moni Love as a British MC because she was born in London in 1970 and she moved to New York in 1989. So she spent 19 years of her life in England and that's where her career began and it's actually a really fascinating career. So first and foremost, Moni Love is a historian and not just of hip-hop, religion, culture, just history she's a historian her interview with talib kwali on people's party which i'll refer to regularly on this podcast shows the depth and the scope of her deep knowledge she speaks eloquently and informatively about the civil rights movement her father's faith uh, and hip-hop both in the uk and the us 1980s like every time i listen to her speak she just has knowledge like in everything people ask her about things and she just comes from a place of knowledge it's it's unbelievable and it that's hard work like she said that when she was younger her father would make her study you know make her study these kind of things and that's just hard work to get to that point um she was a really adept dancer so that's the first thing i'm going to say about money love that people might not know she began break dancing in 1984 and that actually provided her with an introduction into hip-hop you know, nowadays people say they began rapping by hopping into ciphers at school or uploading bedroom recordings on a SoundCloud. But back then, things like breakdancing and graffiti were actually avenues into hip-hop. And she said that she ended up at a club in Covent Garden, which was actually run by Tim Westwood. And it was the only place they knew, her, her friends knew, that played hip-hop. And as someone who excelled in English and wrote poetry, she told an interviewer that she had an aha moment in the club that night that she could become a rapper. And she said that the she told BBC that the the beating the tables trope, you know, this the beating the tables at the high school, the grinding kind of thing, it was a real thing at her school. <laughs> yeah, when I read that, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like her, the girls at her school would beat because she was at a girls' school. The girls at her school would beat the table and create a beat for her to rap over. And at first, they just wanted her to rap the message for them because she knew every single word to the message. But after the Coventry Garden experiences, she began seeing emceeing as a possibility and rapping her own written rhymes. So the crew she was part of had a bunch of people. They had DJs, dancers, and two of her friends, Sparky and Pogo, had turntables and drum machines. So they'd all convene at Pogo's house and have these jam sessions. But, you know, hip-hop in the mid-1980s was a male-dominated field, especially in England. Here's what she had to say about that. Uh, Roxanne Shante definitely allowed me to feel comfortable with what I had to offer as a female artist. In fact, it was particularly challenging for me because I had two things to deal with. I had to be comfortable being a woman in a man's space, and I had to be comfortable with being someone who came from outside of where hip-hop was created to go against and amongst American artists. You know, it was no feat. That's interesting. That's interesting. A lot of people will say that Moni Love was the first female British MC to blow up, but... Moni herself tells everyone in interviews that the legendary Cookie Crew was the ones who blew up. And I never heard of the mm-hmm. Cookie Crew before, but here it is, man. They were due out of South London. They were formed in 1983, uh, MC Remedy and Susie Q. And Moni Love found her way in with them, and she became their little sister. And she would, she, in her words, she said that she was their little sister. And she would follow them to shows, watch them perform, help out backstage. 
And she built up an appreciation and understanding of how to entertain and how to endear yourself to the listener. And she said, a lot of what I learned as far as stage presence and just the level of professionalism as an artist sewing up to soundcheck, these things early I learned from the Cookie Crew. So Moni Love began her musical journey, and in the People's Party interview, she name-dropped legends. Uh, The Police, Dexy's Midnight Runner, Ultravox, they were sprinkled into the kind of music she was hearing from the Caribbean and Africa. Uh, because, you know, British, the British Britain formed the Commonwealth after they decided to go colonize half the world. So as Moni Love said, the wealth of influence in her music and the music her family and friends were listening to was super deep. Music from Africa and the Caribbean was hugely pivotal and influential in her sound. And her family's from Jamaica, and that hugely influenced her sound and her knowledge. And as I said earlier, her father was a dedicated historian himself. He actually used to give Moni Love homework, which was separate from school so that she understood her own heritage and just about the world in general. She said once he had given her knowledge about her own heritage, then he began teaching her about the Black Panther movement, civil rights movement. Uh, He asked her to read Malcolm X's autobiography and write an essay on it. That interview with Talib Kweli is is fascinating. Talib Kweli brings up some great points, and Moni Love, a lot of knowledge, man. A lot of knowledge. It's really interesting. So she's credited as the first international MC, but she was actually signed in the UK before she was signed in the US. She told BBC, and I think this section is really interesting, look at uh, early Britain, early Britain with rap. We, we obviously did London Posse, we did Ronnie P, um, and we talked about how difficult it was. We talked about the desire to you know, change your accent and, and endear yourself to America, and Moni Love... I'll tell a story. It's very interesting what she had to do. So she said British record labels were starting to catch on. They started around 1987, and they started sending scouts out to various areas, various jams. They would pay attention to kids that jump up on sound system trucks during carnivals. Are any of them rapping? Are any of them doing this new hip-hop thing that's emerging from the States? They would come to community centers. I got found out at a community center because me, Pogo, and Sparky, and MC Mello, the four of us formed a group, Just Bad Productions. We put on shows at different community centers. It'd be like two pounds to get in, day parties. A scout came one time and found me. So she was signed to Cool Tempo and she put out a bunch of singles. This is all prior to her signing to uh, Warner in the US and blowing up. But in terms of Britain, she was actually blowing up. She was on top of the pops a few times, which is obviously the long-standing British top songs show. Uh, if you listen to any popular British acts pre-2006, you'll have heard them mention Top of the Pops in interviews. It's legendary. She had the songs Grandpa's Party and I Can Do This Out, and she told BBC that they touched the top 20, but they dropped off. She was on Jules Holland. She was kind of, you know, popping off, but she told BBC, this is fascinating, she hit a ceiling because the UK UK mainstream was not used to hip-hop at all, and it was actually Betty Boo who Moni Love claims hurt her chances of ever truly making it in the UK. Now, Betty Boo is an English singer and pop rap artist, and she struck absolute gold with her first three singles. She had Hey DJ, uh, Doing the Do, and Where Are You Baby. They went seven, seven, and three on the UK charts. If you listen to them, they're super poppy, super mainstream. Now, Betty Boo was part of the She Rockers, who were a hip-hop trio that formed in the UK in the late 80s. And they would actually go on to work with Professor Griff, Public Enemy. And it was a bit of a beef between Moni Love and Betty Boo. Because, you know, Moni Love said the beef was entirely situational, basically because Moni Love was affiliated with the Cookie Crew 
and Betty Boo was part of the She-Rockers, it was kind of like a Roxanne Shantae versus real Roxanne thing. You know, it was basically just circumstance, crews battling crews. Now, Moni Love didn't want to compromise her artistry in order to align with the kind of music the UK mainstream was gravitating towards, and she didn't. She said she had people at the label trying to get her to go down that path to be more poppy, and she flat out refused. She said even if she didn't make a whole bunch of money, she was more comfortable if she didn't compromise her core sound. She said, I want to be comfortable rapping in front of Big Daddy Kane. And that was a fascinating part, man. I want to break quickly here and just chat about that because I think it highlights the unique problems that rappers outside of the US faced. It was still hard to blow up in the US and make real money off mainstream success, but the option for shows was much bigger because of how much of a market there was. It's given me a lot of respect for artists like Rodney P. And that's not to diss Moni Love whatsoever for going to the US, not at all. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But you know, Rodney P stayed, he wanted to create a UK scene, which isn't easy and it's pretty admirable. But yeah, man, I I never knew Moni Love was a British MC. Like I knew she was a British MC, but I didn't know her career started in the UK. And as she said, she hit a ceiling, which I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, well, there's plenty of uh, evidence in, uh, I mean, most cases, actually. Um, you know, a, a reverse one I learned um, I learned about recently was the uh, career of uh, Josephine Baker, um, who was <coughs> um, a uh, entertainer overall. Uh, hang about, let me just get a thing up. Uh, yeah, so entertainer, um, <laughs> actually a French resistance agent apparently, according to Wikipedia. Did not know that. New, new learning, learning new every day. Um, and yeah, so basically she uh she moved her career to Europe, um, and just became a, a, a became a goddess in 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 Europe in in France especially. Um, she was the first black woman to star in a major motion picture. Um, so there's that, and then you come to like uh, recent years, and there's you know obviously uh, a, a big conversation in uh, film spaces is the um, uh, non non argument argument of uh, uh, black British artists, uh, actors, and etc. going to the US. Why? Because the system over there is just much more appealing, and there's much more. Oh, there, are many, there are many more opportunities on that front. Um, you know, American TV and film is just, you know, just a constant churning of of, of whatever. Um, not even talking about you know Hollywood in general. I'm just talking about whatever. Uh, you know, there's plenty of TV stations. Excuse me, plenty of TV stations over there. Um, and you know, music's no. Di- I don't think music's you know any different. Um, in that fashion, I think. Uh, I think. It's out of the out of uh, the out of the two, if you're talking about film or music, I think music's obviously um, a bit easier um, for a British musician to pop off, pop off in Britain. Um, but film-wise, damn, it's hard. It's hard to do that. So I completely understand. And you know, if you take that back to you know when hip hop was hip hop was a thing, I remember that. Uh, I remember the mention of the Cookie Crew. Uh, where we did Rodney P. I remember we watched. Uh, I watched a BBC documentary around that time, where they basically fo- it was basically uh, it was basically just following Tim Westwood about um, at that point, <clears throat> and uh, you know they were there. Uh, like the Posse was there. They were covered as well briefly, um, and you know obviously at that point hip hop in the UK was very um, you know localized, uh, depending on where you were. So it was either Bristol, London. 
Uh, I think Manchester, I'm probably reaching on that front. Uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's better now. It's way better now. You can be anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, shout out to Otis Mensah. He's doing his thing in freaking Sheffield. Like, it's just it's so, you know, it can be done. But back then, I have no idea. It probably, it's probably a case of if you're only in London or Bristol, you're probably fucked. Um, or you have to go to those places to, to get to, you know, get some recognition on that front. So, um, but yeah, I can completely understand where it come, where uh, Moni comes from in terms of, you know, hitting a brick wall. I can totally understand that if she, if that's, if that's how she went about it. Um, and obviously, considering where the US, uh, considering where um, hip hop was at in the US at that point, you know, it was literally about to explode. <laughs> I mean, mm. it exploded already, but it was literally about to explode. Obviously, uh, you know, late eighties, early nineties, it was about to literally implode in more ways than one. So, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, Moni Love, Moni Love wouldn't be the star today without the Native Tongues. And, bro, Native Tongues, greatest greatest hip hop collective of all time. Like, everything leads back to the Native Tongues. People always talk about the Native Tongues. They're, the tree I think, is deep. They were formed in the late 80s. They comprised of D-La Soul, Queen Latifah, Tribe Called Quest, Black Sheep, Jungle Brothers, Shy Ali, and a bunch of others were in their orbit. There are very few groups who could boast not just the careers that's born from their formation, but the sound and the... the oh, it's just so much. It's a movement. Now, Moni Love was part of this historic collective. Uh, and lo and behold, it's Dave Funkenklein back with another hit. We actually mentioned him a few episodes ago. He was who helped discover DJ Shadow. And Moni Love said that Dave Funk and Klein was working with Russell Simmons and he was a hip-hop ambassador bringing the US rappers to the UK. So Moni said that he brought over Queen Latifah, True Mathematics, Jungle Brothers and Chill Rob G to play some shows in Europe. They popped up at a gig in Camden Town and Funk and Klein actually sought Moni Love out because he's heard of her through his own contacts. He introduced Moni Love to the artist at the show. Now, Moni Love was only 16 at the time, and it was such a pivotal introduction because she created a friendship with Queen Latifah, a very, very deep friendship. Moni Love said in multiple interviews that she actually had to take out a proper job just to pay her phone bills for all the calls that her and Queen Latifah would have. And Moni Love at the time also started dating Africa Baby Bam from the Jungle Brothers. Now, Africa would help source her producers for her debut album, and it was Q-Tip. Q-Tip, always Q-Tip. He said it was making sense to bring Moni Love into the native tongues. Now, it wasn't ever an official thing. She just ended up gravitating towards them and spending more time around them, and she was incorporated into the group, and she said that the native tongues wasn't like a contract that you signed. You know, it was just, she said it was just vibes. People were in the studio together, and it was it was a genuine collective, genuine collective. So Moni Love moved to the US. She said to BBC that she went over there with a bag of balls that she didn't have without any real guarantee of success. She just went there because she believed in her music, she believed in herself, and she believed in the native tongues. And Africa and Q-Tip would page her when they wanted her in the studio. But Moni Love said the native tongues, as I said, they just functioned as a commu- as a commune. So whoever was in the studio at the time, they got on the song. And if they really needed you down there, they'd paid you. But she said most of the time people were just asleep in the studio or just hanging around chatting and having jam sessions. Um, so that that connection changed Moni Love's life and supercharged her career in ways she could never have predicted. She ended up getting around DJ Red Alert, the DJ credited for breaking some of the greatest hip-hop acts of all time, Tribe Called Quest, Queen Latifah. He broke BDP via South Bronx. 
Moni Love tells a legendary story. She calls him a conduit, and she said that he was responsible for breaking her. Now, here is her story. She says, My management in England was managing soul to soul. They were hot in England, but they had not broken <laughs> the United States yet. Now, Jazzy B gave me an acetate pressing of back oh to God. life. He gave me that. I got on a Virgin Atlantic flight with an acetate pressing of back to life to give to Red Alert. I had it on my body. I sat on the plane with the acetate on my body. I gave it to DJ Red Alert. I was so nervous. If anything happened to this, the whole plan would fail. I went straight to Harlem to give him the record. Red blew everyone's mind with that thing. Bang. Number four on the Hot 100 and Soul to Soul is out of here. I told you, man. Moni Love. Part of history. Fuck, man. It's such a cool story. I'm so happy about that. I'm so I'm so happy about that particular part of the story, man. I'm so fucking happy. Because I was literally going to mention Soul to Soul uh, when we get down to the album. But um, yeah, that's just that, 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 that just made me smile so much. I love it. I want to jump I into the album, man. Go go for it. Jump straight into <coughs> the debut. You, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not one for exaggeration. Um, you know, I try, I try not to, you know, I try not to be theatrical, um, with it. Um, I say that, am I saying that sarcastically? That's up to you guys. Um, but <laughs> when, when I say that, listening to this album, uh, instantly put it in like my top 25 albums ever, uh, Please do not take that as sarcasm because I love this album to death already. Um, just off listening to it uh, this past week. The reasons why, um, and it's pretty simple. Um, you know, starting off, <clears throat> starting off simply, um, it's just really fucking good. <laughs> like, Moni Love's flows throughout this are just silly, um, honestly. Uh, she comes through with just some absolute crazy pockets coming out, coming in and out of them. Absolutely fluid. Um, I'm trying not to hot take, but it's just it's just absolutely outstanding to me. Um, thinking about this some this person that you know <coughs> hasn't isn't isn't there. You know she she was. <laughs> <laughs> she she got put on by Q-Tip and Queen Latifah, right? And I think she's better in this with this album. She's better at rapping than both of them. Oh um, shit! I I I think this is I think this is better than Ladies First. Um, uh, I, yeah, I just I just I I really think this album is so is is different. In a lot of ways, uh, I I don't think anybody was doing what Moni Love was doing at this point. And it's interesting you mentioned Soul to Soul, which the reason why I was going to mention them is because I was I was listening to this album, and I was just immediately my my head kept going back to like to albums my uh, my my dad used to listen to in the car. And if you've listened to Soul to Soul, if you've listened to Back to Life, I mean, have you not? Listen to Back to Life yet? One of the a, another take. One of my favorite tracks of all time. I feel like Rolling Stone should have had that in the top five hundred. There you go. That's one song they should have been fucking top five hundred. Um, that's it's just absolutely outstanding. I I forgot it was in the it dropped in eighty nine. 
it that song is so fucking timeless to me, bro. It's crazy. I, 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 I didn't even know that shit was 40 years old. I, it's, it blows my mind. Um, was it 30? I miss my I mix my numbers up. Um, but yeah, I was this. The reason why, I, why reason why it was so fascinating when you mentioned that is because some of these tracks really just nail this. Um, this time in the UK, in in especially black music, that time where they were doing this, um, they were doing this like half hip hop, but you know, kind of dancey uh, way of going about things. And if you listen to Soul to Soul, you will get that element. You will understand what I'm talking about. Go listen to Jazzy's Groove, for example. You will completely get that. Going into this album, go listen to Grandpa's Party. Love to Love Remix, you will understand what I'm talking about. There's this there's this party element, but there's still some hip hop there. It's like it's like she I mean she mentioned she mentions she mentions African Bambata in the track and it's kinda like that. It's like planet rock, but just move forward a bit and just refined. And this was a real key moment in like UK just dance music history, not just hip hop history. Okay, it's there's so many tracks I could potentially mention that have these kind of essences in the same way as uh, uh, in the same way as Grandpa's Party, in the same way as something like uh, uh, it's a shame, <laughs> like, like it's it's so outstanding to me um, of how she managed to you know there are some tracks here that feel like it came straight out of any any uh late 80s early 90s uh uh hip ny hip hop uh production session right there's, there's there's just them tracks there's them tracks that come across but then she just sprinkles it in with these with with these definite she can't have gotten them anywhere else than from the UK and that just that just that just warms my heart so much it it just warms my heart so much. It appeals to me on so many levels. This album, it I can't explain to you how much I enjoy this. Listen to this album. I forgot what track it was. I think it was Down to Earth. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of because there was one track in here that was so fucking dumb. It it's, it just went so hard. I was literally just popping shapes like it was house party. <laughs> uh, I, I, in my kitchen while eating crackers. I was just going <laughs> off, bro. It was, oh, bro, popping all the shapes. The legs were moving. I'm not even lying to you. It was crazy. I was dancing so much, just start to finish. I didn't even know what she was talking about. I was just in it. I was just in there. Um, I've never had such an enjoyable time listening to an album in such a while. Um, it was, it was, it was such a, it's, it's, it's one of those discoveries that I feel like should be essential for a lot of people. And considering the fact that it's a it's a British rapper, and I I, just, I don't wanna, I don't want to get into my final thoughts on that front. I'll try and uh, uh, switch up a bit. But yeah, I, I nearly got to that point. But yeah, it's just it's it, it's just so much more. It's just so much more. I can under you know when I mentioned Queen of Teeth and Ladies First and and, and stuff like that. Um, I think I'm I think I'm saying the wrong thing. I think I think I mentioned. Uh, it's Hail to the Queen, isn't it? Is the, the album? Um, Hail to the Queen. The, I think yeah, album. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ladies it, yeah, first is a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies first is a song. Hail, all Hail the Queen is the album I'm thinking. Yep. Of. Yep. Um, and that was obviously in '89. Um, so yeah, when I mentioned that album, which is what I meant before, um, 
that's obviously iconic in, you know, just female hip-hop and hip-hop history of having this female rapper, not pejoratively, obviously, in this case, um, just for, you know, factual statements, coming through talking about what Queen Latifah was talking about. And we obviously did Queen Latifah for a couple of years, uh, over a year ago. So if you want to go peep that, peep that. But um, obviously that album is iconic in essence and for what it is and what it represented at that time. But just artistically, from a rapping standpoint, I haven't even mentioned the fact that Moni in the Middle is all about her rejecting Big Daddy Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Is it? Did you? Oh, you not know? No. Okay, great. All right. Come on, here we go. Charlie's Research House. Enter everybody. Enter, enter. Right. So this this song, the first track, uh, probably the most popular track, um, next is a shame. Is um is yeah, it's all about Big Daddy Kane. So the story is is that she was in McDonald's waiting for waiting to make an order, and uh, one of Big Daddy Kane's boys, I forget his name, um comes through while she's in line and goes, uh, "Yo, Kane wants a Kane wants a, some some McDonald's." Um, so uh, if you um and you and you also you know he rates you I'm, I'm i'm paraphrasing rates is probably not the word they used back then um but yeah be, be you know cane rates you um so he said uh you know if he uh if you if i if i order uh, his if i make his order and you bring it to him he'll know he's feeling you and uh she basically just said she, she straight up just said no um and uh the, his dude had to come with the order, which gave the hint to Kane that Moni wasn't interested in him. Um, but yeah, that's what the whole track's about, um, which is just... <laughs> when I learned that, I was just like, abs- absolute banger of a first track in general. But with just that added context makes it just so much more fascinating. Um, uh, but yeah, man. it's uh, And and also, she had a kid a year later after this album yeah. drop. Yeah. So, and she obviously mentions, ha- she mentions a, having a kid um in this in the, on this album so i was just like i was confused i was like i swear she was like 20 at this time um but yeah she had a kid uh she had a kid uh, in 91 um and she mentions obviously well we'll get to that in the next album but yeah um but yeah bro it's just there's so there's so many things i love about this album like just um historically uh stylistically she literally bridges both she literally bridges the gap uh, uh Nas and Oludara. She literally bridges the gap to me. She she brings UK what was what was popping in the UK at that point with that, you know, hip hoppy dance music, um uh, and just straight up dance music and bringing that hip hop element to it as well and just absolutely nailing that and then coming through with the flows, Jesus Christ, the speeds and the changes and the gates it's it's a it's a it's a I, I don't I don't I can't really fault this album. I, I really can't. There's there's nothing bad about it in my view. Like there's there's so many there's so many things to love about it for me personally. I I just I've I've I've, I've stunned not you. I'm just gonna stop there. But yeah, it's just a Yeah man. There's just so much to love about this album. I'm really glad you mentioned Bridging the Gap because that's something I'll talk about when we get to the second album, but something that she said in multiple interviews that she's hyper aware of and has actively tried to do, um, which I find fascinating. But with regards to this album, um, she's in New York and this album dropped uh, under Warner. Production is handled by uh, Africa Baby Bam, The Beat Nuts, Andy Zark, a bunch of others. She leads off with just a legendary one-two punch. Moni in the middle, it's a shame. Like, 
you know, both hits in their own right, both iconic in yep. their own way. It's a shame yep. blew up. It went 26 on the Hot 100. And it charted in nine Good. countries worldwide. <laughs> nine countries Good. worldwide. And this is something I've noticed a lot with our UK artists. They tend to chart in Europe more, way more than US artists, whether that's through touring or simply because of where they're from. But the success of that single wasn't the reason why the album charted so high worldwide because it was dropped two months after the album was released. Moni in the middle was the one. It helped propel the album to 29 in Austria, 32 in Switzerland, 30 in the UK. You know, that's that's wild. That is genuinely wild. This is a hip-hop album from 1990 going number 32 in Switzerland. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so Moni in the middle, everyone will know this reference, of course, reference legendary by Manny Fresh on Back That Ass Up. One of the wildest verses I've ever heard in my life from Manny Fresh. I don't know why people don't talk about this more. Manny Fresh comes in and he says, I know you can't stand it. Dick bandit. Done landed. See your drawers handed. We can go get it, y'all. Gang split it, y'all. Put the bitch on the wall and I hit it, y'all. Looking kind of lonely. I'm feeling horny. Put the dick in the middle like Moni. The thing is, Kanye West referenced <laughs> it on, on That's My Bitch as well. Put my dick my dick worth money. I put Moni in the middle. The, I don't know why these references are also sexually aggressive, but they are. Yeah. And that's that. Look, this is the thing. I think it's sad to me that the song has been reduced to these references. It's sad to me that multiple times in interviews, Moni Love has said that people really only know her from "My Dick Worth Money." I put Moni in the middle. You know, like she says that, but she seems to she seems entirely calm with the whole thing. She even gets energized when she talks about it. She was telling, oh, I think it was Talib was telling a story about IDK, who uh, you know was when he found out it was Moni Love, he's like, oh, Moni in the middle. And then Kanye West, the same thing. She was mad hype when Kanye West knew about her. And uh, I don't want to put words in her mouth. I'm not going to say that she was mad hype, but she certainly seemed excited uh, talking about it with Talib Kweli, which, yeah, anyway, I mean, that's her prerogative. Like, it just seems weird to me. It just seems weird that all those those references were so sexually aggressive. But outside of those two tracks, the album is... Like, you know, well, including those two tracks, but like, obviously most people will go to those two tracks. The It's fire. The whole thing is fire. The beat on Don't Funk With The Mo is just a legitimate banger. It sounds fresh in 2021. Like seriously, Ring My Bell is a Euro electro banger. It has that like old school Euro house feel. Um, yep. You know, rock riffs on Do As I Please. Uh, I thought there were a couple of sleepy numbers, Pups Lick and Bone, I thought was a bit sleepy, what I'm supposed to be. Um, I feel like it loses a little bit of momentum just sonically with those songs. I don't think Moni misses at all. She ended up picking two Grammy nominations for this album. She became the first female British MC to ever be nominated. So she got Best Rap Solo Performance in 1990 for Moni in the Middle and then Best Rap Solo Performance again in 1991 for It's a Shame. They were just nominations. She didn't win. Uh... But um, I don't think her performance on Ladies First could end. Yeah, I was just thinking the exact same thing. Dead, dead. But um, dead. You know, she was on Ladies First, right? And and that was actually Ladies Ladies First was actually recorded whilst Moni Love was in the UK. And as Charlie said, it was on All Hail the Queen, 
one of the enduring anthems of that of that record. People point to it as one of Queen Latifah's signature songs. And again, a lot of people point to that record as one of the first mainstream expressions of feminism in hip-hop. And certainly we know very well from our Queen Latifah episode how utterly dismissive of the patriarchy and misogyny she was. And Moni Love actually told Talib Kweli it was Queen Latifah's vision for the song rather than Moni's that propelled it to that level. Moni Love, she said she just wanted to shit on everyone. But Queen Latifah wanted it to be something, you know, with a deeper oh. message. What one? Okay, right. So 91 was, uh, uh, nominations were her, Ice Ice Baby, oh. uh, Big Daddy Kane, huh? uh, I got, I Get the Job Done, Bagger Track, and uh, Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen, and the winner was uh, Ken Turgist. Uh, okay. What about 99? Yeah, that was yeah ninety one from ninety nine, obviously, uh, and then ninety two Grammys was uh, Ice T's new Jack Hustler, Queen of Tifa again, Fly Girl, Only Love Is a Shame, MC Hammer Here Comes the Hammer, and the winner was Mama Said Knock You Out. Uh, fair, I guess, but still, I mean, big up Queen of Tifa and Money Love just like getting back to back. Oh wait, Queen of Tifa got the third one that Latifah's had up to here again, so she had three. Nominations and then one obviously in '95. Crazy. I mean, we know Queen Latifah Absolute. was just like ubiquitous back then. Shit. Like, yeah, consistent as shit. Uh, it was um, it was a title track, by the way, for me that I just could not stop moving. It was oh gosh, damn, wild oh. album. And man. even and and even it's a shame, right? Um, you know, just that just that beat that goes on there, that that like that that goes on like that's everywhere. Again, like soul to soul, like plenty of the, you know, you kind of, I think you kind of, I'm trying to think of the genre for it. I'm trying to give it a term, um, but I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm desperately trying to think of one. But like, it is, you know, close to that, you know, Euro house that you're talking about um, in it very closely. Um, but yeah, obviously like soul to soul, like, you know, blended a lot of things. Um, and I, Moni does the exact same thing. And that's why, that's why I completely love it. Um uh, I love Swiney Swiney, by the way. Shout out to that track. Um, just, just for the fact that I had Pork Shoulder the other week, and I was just like, yeah, Pork is really low tier. I'm, 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 <laughs> I never, I rarely have Pork. I don't like, um, I don't just, like Yeah, my mum just bought from, it just for kicks. Yeah, so I don't like meat from, up, a, but, from a pig at all. Yeah. I, I don't like bacon. Yeah. I don't like ham. I don't like pork. I, I just don't like it. Yeah, it's not, it's not, yes, yeah, it's, it's not great. But shout out to her for that track. It's very, yeah, it's very to the point. Um, respective on that one, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Oh, well, the thing the thing about it is, like, she speaks passionately and eloquently on People's Party about how difficult it was for a woman in the early 90s to even cut through as an MC. She said, and maybe this is a little shot of Big Daddy Kane again, she said everyone had a, a poster of Big Daddy Kane on their wall, but not MC Light. And she name dropped Salt and Pepper numerous times as being the authors of the blueprint for women. And I see that so many times by so many people. It's so evident that they were pioneers of the highest level in empowering women to feel confident in a hip-hop space. But as Jean Grey said on that People's Party episode, she had to overcome the stage of men only supporting her because she they wanted to have sex with her. And Moni Love speaks about this, mm. about the challenge of breaking free of that mold, of being true mm. to herself, but not pandering to men in a sexual way whilst comp- like in compromising herself. And I think Queen Latifah mm. is the absolute goat of this. Like... Just an absolute queen in just being herself entirely. And if if she wants to be sexual, she'll be sexual. If she doesn't want to be sexual, she won't be sexual. But it's not trying to like pander to men at all. It's just being herself. And Moni Love is on that level, I think. 
Um, she said that there's always a one-dimensional box that female MCs get pigeonholed into. And I think she said, she did say, she actively tried to break out of that box with her debut album. And I think she achieved that. She added to the diversity of female MCs. You know, back then, this is key, male MCs could be whatever they wanted to be in 1990. You know, the native tongues themselves saw to that. Bismarck E saw to that. Shock G saw to that. Ice T saw to that. It's beautiful that Moni Love was part of the native tongues because on her debut record, she added another layer to the mainstream for female rappers. She literally did whatever she wanted on that album. Eurodance, rock, old school hip-hop, R&B, funk, just straight up bangers. And she said she tried to allow them to have their versatility and to embrace it all. And I think her, her debut album did that, man. It absolutely did that. And then we get three years later in a word or two. Okay, so clearly a bit of a calm down for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just on that yeah. point, because I, ca- I can't gas up an album for no- enough for what I just did for that one. Um, so, yeah, a little bit more chill for me on this front. Um, but I, I, the thing I like about this is... Um, is the is the no bones about it nature of it? Um, you know, Born to Breathe is a very fascinating record because, <clears throat> again, you know, preface this with the fact we're two days talking here, but like, you know, the 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 concept of motherhood, right, is always um, there's always a push and pull to it, um, regardless of who you are, right? I th- I think. I would like to think I'll say that um, just to preface um, that because I'm really tiptoeing this. Uh, I really want to tiptoe since there, right? But like the way that some conversations go is that you know um, for some people motherhood is the peak for you know a lot of women's lives, and you know I'm kind of, I'm one of those people that don't really agree to that. I feel like there's more that you, you can be a mother and you could be other things, and I think I feel like you know. We 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 as collective societies are you know past that um, maybe not for some places but you know, um, but for, th- for for born to breed like just say just saying that born to breed. That's a very um, I don't know. That's a very interesting way of just saying anything right there, because um, <laughs> obviously she's had the kid. Uh, she had her first kid after this point. So clearly, motherhood was on the mind for this track, but it kind of fascinated me in how she went about it. I'm gonna see if I can get the lyrics up right quick. Um, I got them up here. Yeah, they're but, fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, when you when you peep that, and when you read that, and what she's saying, um, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a mother, and that's fine. And if I want to be, and if I want to be just that, I'm a mother that gave. It's, it's the first verse. So I'll just give it the first verse. I'm a I'm a mother that gave birth young. So what about it? straightforward just straightforward right there because obviously that is a thing i i myself was just like taken aback i was like she had a kid at this point already you know what i mean it's just it wasn't anything like you know nefarious from my from my view i was just like how old was she um at that point it was just a you know and she's 23 22 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but yeah, still i was just like I, I i didn't know she was i didn't know what age she was at that point i thought it was like how i i've I, I thought it was the other way. I was just like, how young was she? Just wanted to check that right quick. But no, it's, um, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a mother that gave birth young. So what about it? Does it mean right away that I'm wrong? All in due time when well, my time is right now. So don't ask me who, where, what, when or how. I know I got me and a good partner beside me. One that will never try to deserve, define me. 
so who are you to tell me how to run my family? I can plan it by myself. I need nobody planning me. Because yeah, I might be young, but my stability's correct. Everything about my little one I must protect. What she sees, what she hears, and everything surrounding a decent state of mind is what my door will be found in. Like that's a that's that's just that verse up right there is on the level of like uh you know name any hip hop song about parenting. Um, one that comes up, you know, immediately for me is uh, Nas's daughters. Mm, I was going to say um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's like that's like the epitome for me personally when I just think of that kind of song, and this is right up there with it. Um, of just how she goes about it. Just a th- just saying born to breed is so it's so evocative. Um yeah, you wonder what direction she's gonna go, eh? Like whether she's gonna yeah, there's a muscle yeah, there's a muscle to that and you're just like, oh. And you and you wanna and you wanna th- and you, you, it forces you to think about how she's how she's thinking about it. And it's just like, okay, so obviously, you know, when you say born to breed, it's just like, are you born to do just that? Right? And it's you know, you start going about that and it start and you start to second guess yourself on what she what she's actually saying here. But then obviously the verse is kind of, you know, uh uh pull the pull the knot loose there. Um so that's just one track that really just um made me think. Um in a world in a world or two the title track is beautiful to me. I love that track. Uh For the Children as well is a beautiful track, um, in terms of just the messaging there. Um Let a Woman Be a Woman on the back end, you know, very uh uh, very uh, uh, um, uh, exactly what it says on the tin kind of thing going on. I love never give up on a good thing. Never give up. Oh, it's just oh, oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. Love the hook to that. Love everything about that track. It's such a banger. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's a uh, th- th- there's like th- there's tracks where she's you know saying that one thing that. You know, might be taboo, might not be, depending on where you are in life, depending on where you are in the world. And then the rest of them are just like, you know, just just rap jams. And it's it's a fascinating album to think about. I will I will say that. It's interesting that it gave you that. Because the thing that changed my... Well, it didn't change my perspective. I didn't have a perspective on motherhood before my friends had kids. I, I just... How could I? Like, I never experienced it. So I was a blank slate until they had kids and I watched them go through the process and I'm like, holy shit, this is like the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my entire life by a long margin. Interesting. (laughs) That even it would drag, it dragged me into it where like I love their children just because I love them and I love the connection that they have and I will do anything to protect their children. And I can totally see, you know, when I was younger, maybe I was like, there's way more to life than, you know, having a child. But when I see that, I'm like, holy shit, that's like fucking epic. Like I can't even imagine that process. What? And then I obviously gained such a respect for my mom that I never had because I never had that perspective before. And so when I read this, these lyrics and the thing about it is it's like often, what was the episode? It might've been Eve the episode where we did and I think I just fucking went in on the fact that interviewers just kept asking her about yep. her husband yep. and her, yep. you know, being a mother. I'm just like, bro, she's a fucking artist too. Like, yeah, ask her about that shit, but just stop asking her who she's fucking all the time and, you know, whether uh, she plans and, um, to have kids. As a quick mention, just a, uh, I'm sorry to derail, but like, um, you know, there's a, there's that show going coming out with uh, her brandy, um, Summit Velasquez, I forget her name, and uh, Naturi Norton, and you know that's about like a 
female rap group from the 90s that have stopped and they've gone different ways and eve is like the mother in that in that uh in that uh in that show so i, I just found that wrinkle very interesting when i saw the trailer for it but well, wasn't on. wasn't the so she married someone who has kids already and then they were all asking yes. her whether she wanted her own kids yes. and yep 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 yep, yep. Which fucking, I, I actually did. I remember getting on that episode and ranting because it just pissed me the fuck off. <laughs> and the thing I do yeah, like yeah. about the Moni Love situation is every, most of the interviews I watched, they're not really talking about motherhood that much. They're talking about all sorts of stuff. And it's usually Moni Love who brings it up and she brings it up on her terms, which I really appreciate. So Born to Breed. I mean, this is a song with Prince, by the way. Uh, I'll get into that in a second. But um I love the song, man. I absolutely fucking love the song. And it's just open and honest, as you would expect from Moni Love. Um, she was, and, and I'll get into inner words to like just speak on what I've, what I've had, what I have here. The whole point of what Charlie said earlier about her being able to like blend all these different uh, influences from all the different backgrounds that she's experienced in her life. She actually told uh, Slam in 1990, she says, this gives me a little thing that's different, the fact that I can switch accents. And that was one of the things that people criticized her for because sometimes she would switch accents and people would be like, wait, what? But she was just like, you know, I've grown up in so many different situations around so many different people and I've taken influence and, and appreciation from all those different parts. And so I can do that. And I agree with her entirely. Like that makes sense. And, you know, after the success of her debut album, she was on a Whitney Houston song, My Name Is Not Susan, which dropped in 91. And the remix uh, was a smash hit. Uh, I do wonder, like by 93, and this is a thing, this is her last album, and it's likely the last album we'll ever get from Moni Love. She only has two albums. Um, I do wonder if Queen Latifah helped her to come to the conclusion that rap was only part of the business because she'd begun acting by the stage. She would appear in Forrest Whitaker's television movie, Strapped. Now, while she was touring her debut album, that was when she was pregnant, and she told People's Party that it could it showed her that she could do literally anything she wanted in the world, that she was capable of incredible feats, and she could achieve anything she wanted. And I think that that's very true. And she ended up working with Prince on this album, and she says, the second album was when I actually got to work with Prince. I was on Warner Brothers, and so was he at the time. The exchange was he wanted me to write raps for Carmen Electra, who was his protege, I would write her album and he would produce about three or four songs on my album and even exchange. Plus, I would get a little dough for it. So the Prince story is wild. She said she brought her husband and her daughter to Paisley Park and set up camp in Prince's compound. Now, Prince was such a hard worker that he would fly musicians to shows with him in order to keep working on music after his performances. She tells a pretty cool story about a show at Wembley. She says... One of the nights at the shows at Wembley, he said, I want you to come up on stage and kick 16 bars. I think it was Diamonds and Pearls or something. He was like, all right, when the breakdown comes in, go on stage and kick 16 bars. I don't care what you say. I agreed. While I was walking on stage, he took my baby from me. It was crazy. As I was walking on stage, he's like, here, give her to me. And he stood at the side of the stage with her on his hip watching me kick 16 bars. That's fucking wild, man. And he produced uh, Born to Breed and the title track of this album. Um... So yeah, man, a lot of the criticisms of this album actually seem to stem from the Miley Mile production. Certainly this is an album you have to be in the right vibe to engage with, I think. I think some of the instrumentals are a touch dull. Uh, yep. I just think There's a Better Way is one of the one of the best 
beats on the album. It's still a bit sleepy and a bit rote. And that's a step down from the production on her first album, which was really innovative and diverse. And this is a transgression in 93. Any album that sounds like 1987 in 1993 is going to fall largely on deaf ears. The same way that if someone came out with a hip house album in 2021 is going to be relegated to the scrap heap. Um, oh but gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's what that's basically what it was back then. Like if you're going to make a 1987 album in 93 like there are periods in in hip-hop where you know it's it's progressive and it was so progressive at the time you just couldn't be regressive um yeah but this there's so many great narratives on here man like on the title track she raps sacrifice is a word that's second nature you give more than you take it's hard for somebody to hate you dream a little longer i penetrate your visions beauty lies within your thoughts to stay is what i'm wishing i love the way the world around you quivers but you float also how other people get frustrated but you won't the way you relax while the world is so intense i'm so much in love with you that sometimes it don't make sense in one verse she delivered more depth than chance's entire album about marriage like that <laughs> shit and this is like she references salt and pepper oh. on here on i'm a believer Poor she Tom. dips yeah well he brought it Catch upon himself <laughs> actually i mean <laughs> I thought it was apt since I, I used Chance's uh, name-dropping me at the start of this to, to intro me. But, um, yeah, man. Damn, that was him. That's Fuck, Chance. man. That's Chance. I didn't even know it was him and you covered up with a straight disrespect. Fuck. Nah, well, I think, look, I think he was disrespecting Damn, me in that, in that exchange because I think he was <laughs> laughing and making fun of me. But... Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't fully know. He hasn't blocked me on Twitter, and I don't know what our relationship is yet. I'll have to reach out to him and ask. Just anyway. DM you after this, after hearing this episode, yo man. <laughs> yeah, he might be. He might be. But like, look, man. You think about it. Moni Love had already ascended to the pinnacle of pop in the UK, but she fell back because it was compromising her values. She'd been courted by the native tongues. She had a deep friendship with Queen Latifah, worked with De La Soul and Tribe, was working with Prince, popped up on a Whitney Houston song. She was parallel to mainstream excess, but this album didn't even chart on the Billboard 200. And, you know, it's gone. Like, that's the end. That was, I'll talk about her post-music career, but, like, that was it. She dipped after this, musically, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you make make that mention about, uh, you know, uh, progressiveness and uh, what... uh, uh, and I had the—I don't know if you asked the, you asked the question um, or I just thought of it myself whilst while you were talking about that particular point. I was just—I was just thinking, you know, what would be the what would be the twenty twenty one equivalent? I mean, you mentioned the year, so I was just like thinking, what would be like the equivalent? Because you know that obviously mesh mash it, uh, her first album mashes uh, what was going on in the UK at that point in terms of black music and what was going on in the US at that point in black music. So what would the UK even be like? You know, I feel like jazz over here is making a comeback. There's a true golden era here, and I feel like you know it's very, uh, it, it's 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 on the precipice of you know, bul- uh, bul- bulking up. But to be honest, you know, uh, instrumental music doesn't chart that high, um, in many cases within the world. Um, so yeah, maybe like that uh, you know, there's obviously UK hip hop. There's obviously you know just general UK rap. Grime is st- still there obviously taking a back seat from more traditional methods um obviously that goes back to the u.s so i'm just trying to think what that because her blend is her stylistic blend is so clear to me um in terms of like comparisons uh, but it's a it's a it's really hard for me to explain 
But if you listen to, you know, the Soul to Souls and people around that time, you you will completely get where I'm coming from. Uh, you'll hear the same, you know, you'll hear the same similar drums. You'll hear the sa- that same keyboard. Oh, that's this a keyboard. There's this one keyboard sound that comes across, in, I think in both albums, uh, or one of the two. And it just and it just brings me back. Like, uh, it just brings me back to like uh, sweet harmony, a sweet harmony, a sweet harmony. It's just oh, it's just this real nice. Um, uh, not 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 like not drum and bass, but like a because it was, it actually lacked bass. I think it was it was just like pure uh, going going on and uh, and them them keys. Oh my gosh, them keys are so iconic to me. So yeah, it, I I try, I'm trying to think of what like the the 2021 equivalent, but I feel like because there's so many styles going around right now, it's probably hard to do probably hard to do so. But she just think that's why I love like just what in the small time of what she did, just just taking significant what the essence of everything was at that point. I mean, she didn't add reggae. I guess there's that. Um, you know, I think uh, reggae would have been a you know another element she probably could have she could have added. Uh, in terms of like UK styles, but apart from that, uh, she took she took she took one thing, blended it with hip hop, and it just went perfectly. So I'm just uh, I was trying to think of a 2021 uh, comparison, but I feel like there's so many styles going around, it's probably impossible to do so. But well, there's hey, man, one one thing about that. Just on that, sorry to cut you, but like yeah, that's yeah, that's not common anymore. You know these blends of styles and like throwing a bunch of different sounds on an album. Is I mean, just not- is it? Is it not? Is it just, or is it just like it's so common that you don't realize it? Well, there's so many different. <laughs> like there is def- a lot of different sounds right now, but I feel like every artist sticks to their lane, and it's quite jarring when they don't. Like when I listen to a Heady One album that's not just straight drill, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I can see where you're going with yeah. that. But for only Afrobeat, sure. a couple Afrobeat tracks, you know what I mean? Just like even even that, even the Dave album, like you didn't really like the Afrobeat song, I think from remember from memory. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. I just yeah, I, I hear Dave on Afrobeats and I just don't rate it. I don't know. It's just the way his voice doesn't fit it. But that's just yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's know. obligatory. Like the, the you know, rap African br- black British of African heritage, you know, that rap, I feel like they I mean, I mean, shit. Sims did it. Point and kill. Sims did it with a uh, point and kill. And mm. uh, what was the next track after that? Uh, let me get the vinyl right next to me. Uh, Fear no man. Um, <laughs> Which one though? You got two. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but yeah, but um, yeah, you know, it's just so she did it. And mm. I remember I, I listened to a Fantano interview, and she said, uh, you know, I felt I finally felt comfortable to do that um, in terms of that. And that's you know, that's that's cool. That's fine. You know, I would I've, it would have been very jarring to have a. You know, point and kill on grey area or stillness in Wonderland. It wouldn't mm. have worked. Um, so you know, it obviously that fit. Um, but yeah, you know, I, f- I feel like a lot of artists. I don't know if they feel obliged to do it or they just want to do it, or you know, the label tells them to do it. You know, what I mean, just, I don't, I don't know what the es- uh, what the um, uh, what the what the need for it is. Not that I'm complaining. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I forgot what your point was. Sorry, I just you kind of totally no, took you no, off. No, we're, head, we're heading into bias territory there, I reckon, because that would be um, that would certainly Low be key, a fascinating yeah. topic. But I'll talk about her post music just quickly. She's been mm-hmm. a bankable touring artist for a very long time. She said she offers tours with Yo Yo and Lady of Rage. She said she ends up on the same bill as Stetsa Sonic a lot. Uh, she obviously formed the alumni with Chub Rock, Kwame, Special Ed, and Dana Dane. And she said in an interview, she does around 20 shows a year with them, which is epic. It's beautiful to see artists touring into their late career. Uh, what 
A lot of people know Moni Love for is her illustrious radio career. She found her way into broadcasting by mistake. Here are her words to BBC. I think this is important because I think this is a huge part of her story. She says, there was a guy in New York who decided to flip one of the radio stations because he had sense. I need to flip one of these top 40 radio stations into a hip-hop radio station with R&B. And that radio station is Hot 97. And in doing so, he wanted to keep it authentic with the personnel that he hired. Um, And he says... They decided they wanted some weekend and I was still a recording artist so I couldn't do full time. So I got called in for an interview and he was like, how would you like to do radio? And I was like, why would I like to do radio? And he said, I feel like you've got a great personality. I've watched your videos. And then she says, I think he's very lucky because I could have got on that radio station and failed. But luckily for him, I am who I am. And I am this person and I do have an electric personality and I'm very honest and transparent and fun. And he saw something. I got trained and I worked for Hot 97 for 10 years, then Clear Channel, which is now iHeartRadio for three years on Power 105. Then I left New York and got my own radio show for Radio 1 in America and Philadelphia. Then I had a 10-year show on satellite radio called Ladies First Show. She says, I've been in radio since 93. Um, She's also an actress, of course. She was in a couple of uh, movies in the early 90s. Now, people might remember her on-air argument with Jeezy in 2007, which some speculate got her sacked from Clear Channel. So in 06, the end of 06, Nas dropped Hip Hop Is Dead, and anyone remotely tapped into hip hop after that album and that song blew up was wondering, you know, what the fuck Nas was talking about, and maybe he's right. So Jeezy yeah, had an album. The song isn't even about hip hop being dead. Well, that's the thing. It's <laughs> such so an it's such an evocative <laughs> title, and the the, the <laughs> yeah, video is no, not even really about that either. So like, I don't know. <laughs> nothing is about yeah exactly. But like Jeezy had an album out, and he was due for an interview. And rather than volley him a puff piece about his new record, Moni Love started discussing the issue. And Jeezy, I thought Jeezy kept his cool. A lot of people shitted on Jeezy on that. Um, he didn't appear to know who Moni Love was in her history before he started debating, which was not acceptable. But I feel like they had entirely different points. But it is speculated this is why she lost her job. And Moni Love speaks passionately. Uh, she argues both sides of the fence. She sees the criticisms. She, this is about radio in general. Like, when you hear Moni Love talking about radio, it's really fascinating. She she understands it's a, it can be a horrible thing. Um I'll get to that in a second, but she said, this is what she said, it is partly our responsibility to do as Nas says on the Hip Hop Is Dead album. On one of the tracks, he talks about carrying on tradition. We have to do that. It is our responsibility. We have not been doing that. So partly what is happening to some of the youth who are not hip hop fans, and you can tell someone who's someone who is making music today and put records out are not hip hop fans. And the easiest ways to detect one of these people is if they have absolutely no clue of the people that came before them. And not just knowing the obvious cuts. Everyone pretty much knows Run DMC, Dougie Fresh, and Slick Rick. That's not hard. When you start getting into Sweet Tea and Jazzy Joyce, she spoke about uh, the True Corporation, which she was involved in, which actually includes Knife Wonder as a place for people 23 and up to listen to hip-hop. I find her attitudes on this fascinating because... For so long through radio, she's been motivated to promote new music, and we know how fickle radio and mainstream is. Like, Q-Tip wouldn't wouldn't have a song on radio in 2021. Um, And once you're in that lane, all you get is radio spins. You know, look at someone like Drake. He's all over radio. So Moni Love is a historian, and I said that at the start, and she isn't just a hip-hop historian. She's a world historian. Like, she knows her heritage. She knows the stories of everyone she came into contact with. She does her research. She is, by all rights, a top-tier radio presenter simply because of her knowledge and perspective. And I think we need more people like her in radio. It's actually kind of a blessing to me that she dipped 
from making original music and focusing on this on the side because I think this side needs the most attention. I really do. I think that radio needs people like Mooney Love desperately, so desperately, and not just people who existed in that time. Yes, they need more of that, but they also need people who are engaged and willing to go into those arguments and have those conversations. If she did get um, fired for that Jeezy thing, that's ridiculous. Because that's ex- that's exactly what's wrong with radio, if that's the case. They'll just fire anyone who says anything against any artist. Like, no, man, you need to have those discussions. So I actually think it's great. And maybe this is for a bite or an episode, but uh, another episode or even a lighter note one day, she says in her interview with Tony Muhammad that you can't be a true hip-hop fan without doing your due diligence. And I think that that sums up Moni Love as a person she always does her due diligence and there's no higher respect can be given than that i think no man and uh yeah so it's uh is what is worthy thinking about that um of when people switch lanes you know sometimes uh you know people think that's like oh so so, so, so they suck at the first thing they did it's just like no no they just switch lanes <laughs> no, well the B- you know. bismarck is an example right Biz is an yeah, example yeah, yeah. where he went to DJing after he was an MC and everyone shit on him at the time. Not shit on him, but they were a bit confused. They thought he was dipping because he, he didn't want to cut it anymore. But like, nah, man, he just became a great DJ, like a really great. And that's that thing. People see it as a step down from rapping. But, you know, mm. fuck, man, like Biz Marquee, legend. So, yeah, anyway, sorry to cut you off, but I think that that's I think it's a good no, point. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. So um, that was pretty much the point I was making. But um, you know, respect Moni on that front, and uh, you know, it's clear from you know the interviews she gives, and you know, just being on radio, man. Like, you need some intelligence to be on radio. I don't care what you say. Like, obviously there are some dumbasses on there that just you know spout garbage, and there's a lot of radio that does that. Um, over here, I'm sure over there for you, Ben, and obviously in the US as well. There's plenty of just like you know, what's the word? Shock jocks. That's the term. Yeah. They just like spout shit just for the sake of spouting shit, but you know Moni's mad intelligent and it comes across like that. I mean, I'm I, I, bro, I'm 25 and I just peeped Malcolm the Malcolm X book. Like, and I'm I'm late. I'm late. Honestly, I feel like I'm late. Um, so you know, she did a freaking essay on it when she was I don't know however young, but I think she said she know. was 14. <laughs> For, oh, fuck me, it's fuck. crazy, man. Bro, like, do you understand how like? bamboozled i would be uh, reading at 14 like um i was not ready um i was not ready so uh <laughs> so respect to my love yeah. in all forms uh shout out for the great music as well and uh yeah man that's the perfect way to start this uk black history month speaking of books as i send ben this funny tweet uh go read that and uh as i as as he reads that and uh probably last as i'm talking <clears throat> shout out to no name for um opening her bookshop um that's uh, that dropped today uh she was posting about it today um i literally just saw a tweet um about uh her mother having a bookshop in the 90s she saw the tweet um and um uh and she said like uh she had to sell the books because obviously capitalism um but moni's do uh moni sorry <laughs> no name is doing it um you know completely free and uh you know just throwing I, I, I don't know if she's throwing the books for free or like you know they return the books i'm not sure how that how her system's working but she has a freaking bookshop guys and uh that's uh that's just outstanding to think about so big up to no name on all 
forms uh, on, on that front. Um, just big respect. As as kind of another lean switch right there, you know, just going from rapping to doing what No Name's been doing, um, helping, you know, uh, people in the prison system get their books, get their education as they quote-unquote rehabilitate as prisons are supposed to be um and uh, open her bookshop man that's just um i i feel like every hip-hop publication should be on that i tweeted that today as soon as i woke up and saw it today i was like i need hip-hop dx on this i need the source on this whatever's left of the source i need uh level i need rolling stone i need pitchfork i want all of these people to be talking about this because this is necessary if you're gonna put um, if you're going to put uh, Rick Ross giving his son a Wingstop franchise on his birthday uh, <laughs> on your Instagram, I want to see this as well. I want to see this as well. Do you understand how pissed I was seeing that? I was just like, are you fucking serious? Is this IG content these days? Is this hip-hop content? Some dude giving his uh, son a Wingstop franchise. I I could not give a fuck. Like, you, you got me fucked up if you think I care about that. So, you know, if you're going to do that, if you're going to post that kind of garbage, put something good in the world right now. Easy, easy pickings. Just, th- just throw it right there. Just screenshot a tweet. Just put it out. Boom. Don't care. Just, just do it. Just, just do it. Anyway, shout to, shout to no name on no name on that front, and uh, you know, all the, all the power to her. Shout out to no name. Shout out to no name. Um, I might give that. I didn't know about that. I might have a look into that and read that article that she linked. Um, my, my only lighter note <coughs> is I saw a tweet this morning. It says the Roots agreed to be the live band for Jay Z's MTV Unplugged after Jay said Black Thought and other top MCs, rumors include Nas and Eminem, would be invited on stage to do a cipher. According to Black Thought, Jay Z cancelled it at the last minute. Now the responses are awful, awful, like really. Ter- Firstly, okay, and the, the reason they're awful is because people, again, this is a due diligence thing. People haven't done their due diligence. So, firstly. There's no way Jay-Z would have had Nas on a cypher on MTV Unplugged in 2001. Not the least because he did an interview with Angie Martinez where he explicitly said, and it was it was massive at the time. You just Google it. It's there. He said I the mean, only we have way... an episode about the beef. So exactly. Go. And the only... You yeah. can go back to that episode. And the only, re- the only way he said he would battle Nas was a pay-per-view event where they would either box <laughs> each other or they would battle each other and all the money would, would go that. to charity. <laughs> Now, he yeah. he threw that gauntlet down and obviously Nas didn't pick it up because that would have been hilarious. But it's like, then I'm I'm reading the replies. Everyone's like, well, Jay-Z ducked a bullet there. He would have got washed by all of them. Jay-Z. All right, look. Firstly, it's a cipher. It's not a battle. Pop so on the cake, Ben. Everyone's, everyone, everyone's going to be, everyone's saying, oh, Jay-Z <laughs> would lose a battle to the, it's not a battle. It's a cipher. Secondly, <laughs> Jay-Z and Dame Dash used to drive around New York looking for people to battle. They were looking yeah. for Big L to battle him on the street corner. They were looking for DMX I to battle him on the street corner. DMX yeah. and Jay-Z had a classic battle that I most people yeah. say Jay-Z won. Jay-Z battled Buster Rhymes in high school and he won. Like, I'm not saying all this to say that I'm, you know, Jay-Z would wash everyone and he's the greatest rapper of all time. But look, you haven't done your research. If you get on there and say Jay-Z would have the weakest verse out of that cypher, he might. He might. Who knows? They're all fucking top MCs in 2001. But don't be disrespectful and stupid. Don't be silly. You're saying silly things. And I actually had a, an end that I was going to say, but we kind of ran out of time with Money Love where I was going to get into the due diligence. And one of my points was I find it really difficult to, you know, for example, 
talk about uh, who popularized singing and rapping with someone who doesn't mention Bismarcky or Queen Latifah. I find that really difficult to do. I, I find it difficult yep. to discuss the merits of emotional and sensitive hip hop with someone yep. who doesn't know the lyrics to I Need Love. I, I don't or know even, what to... Or even Fonte in the modern modern sense. Fonte, absolutely. I yep. CeeLo, I, I find it difficult to yep, talk yep, yep. to anyone who says that, you know, and, and again, I know this is maybe being a bit inflammatory, but anyone who says, firstly, that Nicki Minaj created you know, the lane that Nicki Minaj created because Little Kim did that prior and Nicki Minaj will tell you that Little Kim did it prior. You know, I'm not, this is not me shitting on Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj herself has said that. But even then, I find it really difficult to argue with people who say Little Kim did it because Salt and Pepper did it in the freaking mid 80s. Like, so this is, that's why I find it so hard to be on, on social media these days. And I get it, man. Like, I was young. I, I had no idea about all this stuff when I was young. I didn't have any of this knowledge. And so this knowledge, I'm not saying this makes me superior in any way, but we literally have 130 episodes of us doing this shit. Like, you know, you don't do 130 episodes of retrospectives without picking a few things up along the way. So mm. I don't think, what my whole point is, I don't think social media is for me. I, I don't know where the social media for me is, but it certainly is not the replies to hip hop numbers. That's not <laughs> the place that I'm gonna find self actualization. That's for sure. So uh, it's just the point I'm saying. Like, come on, man. Do do your Googles. Just hop on the Googles and just just you know, Jay Z battle. Go watch backstage, man. Go watch backstage with him battling DMX. Like, it's a wild thing. And I'm not saying Jay Z would wash anyone. Because he got rinsed by Big L on the on the uh, stretch of Babido show, he got absolutely, yeah, man. Like, yeah. Anyway, that's just my my thing. Okay, you did all that just to say I don't fuck with Twitter mentions. That's great. Uh, no, it's, not <laughs> that's it's not for Didn't me. Didn't even couldn't even get to. Uh, I was I was gonna ask a uh, dream uh, dream halftime Super Bowl show since uh, ah. Snoop Dre. Mary J, Eminem, and Kendrick. So I was gonna like, because so, they have to knock that shit in half an hour. So we ain't gonna get all the bangers. So I was just wondering what the what the track list you think was. They're gonna, gonna be, get but, some. Uh, forgot about Dre because they're gonna they're gonna get yeah, Eminem and Dre on the same yeah, thing. Forget about then, Dre. Gonna get nothing but a G thing. Um, yeah. We're gonna get Family Affair. So what's yeah. that? That's three, and then Kendrick will probably do. I don't know. I don't know. Humble. I think I think he has to do Humble because that's the most that's the biggest track. But I don't think that would fit with the vibe. I would like the recipe. Like I don't think that's a deep cut at all. But I'd love to him and Dre to do recipe. That would be yeah. so sick. Or the Beats um, commercial that they never finished. Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, uh. Fuck! I fucking forgot about that. You know? Oh, such a bagger. Such a potential bagger there. Uh, it's alive. All right, let's end it there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth M Podcast Network, this has been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I have been Chai Taylor of the Fifth M. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We continue our UK Black History Month from next week and throughout October. Please tune in. Please lock in. We have some bangers coming true. But until then, hope you have a good week. The show is trying to do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. Ah, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Joe Prakers for the to use. 
socials for the fifth element here for buying numbers bonus points and chill breakers for being the full show notes wherever you're listening this has been the fifth element podcast network production thanks for spending time with us we shall see you next time as we continue on with our UK Black History Month or digging digits <laughs>